0: what's the dealio today we'll be talking about operation varsity blues and march madness here on the subject let's hand it over to tyler and rebecca
1: hi everyone what's the dealio i'm becca i'm tyler And we're going to be talking about the recent college scandal known as Operation Varsity Blues, which was a college admissions bribery scandal that came out last month, and it involved over 50 people that are charged with basically illegally getting people into top elite, big name colleges like Stanford and USC, among other schools. And it involved faking test scores and photoshopping photos to make their children look like they were athletes. There are a lot of different parts to the scandal, but that's the basic gist of it.
2: Yeah, so basically how it worked was parents would pay for the scores. And according to prosecutors, parents paid up to between $50,000 and $75,000 for higher test scores. Like Becca said, the cheating went down in three ways. Someone else would take an SAT or ACT for the student as one of the three ways. And like Becca said, they would also Photoshop the students' pictures on different varsity sports. And it wasn't just the parents getting arrested for this. It was college coaches as well. One specific example would be the LSU coach for basketball this year was forced to not coach in the March Madness NCAA tournament because he apparently gave some money under the table to LSU star player Javante Smart, who was also ruled ineligible.
1: And part of the reason that we would like to discuss the scandal for this episode is because this scandal is actually much, much closer to the Tokyo International School community than we might think. I myself was shocked to find out that a guy who my dad and brother knew very well, whose two kids went to Nishimachi and Seisen, was one of the people recently accused of bribing their way into Georgetown and USC in the recent scandal. These two students were also in fact tutored by Tyler's tutor.
2: So now that we've talked about the background and its relation to ASIJ, we have Kieran and Kaya, who will now take a more in-depth look at how this affects the students at ASIJ.
3: Hi everybody, my name is Kaya Matsuda.
4: My name is Kieran Carroll. So a week ago, we sent out a survey asking the student body about their thoughts on the recent college scandal. We asked a series of questions with respondents ranking their answers from one to five. One being not at all and five being very in response to the question.
3: So the first question is, how shocked were you when you first found out about the scandal? So out of the 43 respondents, the most common response was a one, meaning they weren't shocked at all by this. Uh, So Kieran, what do you think about this?
4: I think this response is, I don't know, I think it's quite depressing because it shows that most students, they kind of suspected that the college admissions process was rigged or was unfair to some degree.
3: Yeah, I agree. And I also think it's really sad that we weren't shocked at all by this because it's such a normal thing, at least to us.
4: Yeah, the scandal confirmed how people were cheating their way into top schools, but the fact that most people suspected it already kind of shows how flawed the system is to -hmm. some degree. So I want to move on to our second question. So we asked students, do you feel that this scandal is relevant to ASIJ? And from 43 respondents, 19 respondents replied with 4, and 15 respondents replied with 5, which means that the majority of um, students at ASIJ, at least according to our survey, um, think that the scandal is relevant to ASIJ. What do you think about this?
3: Yeah, I completely agree. I think we've kind of seen this stuff before. I mean, a lot of ASIJ students have parents that went to really good schools, and so because of that, like we're more aware of this scandal. Mm-hmm. And so... Yeah, things like legacy. I guess a comment from one of the student responses I thought was very interesting. They said that the college admissions scandal proved that the college admissions is just another socioeconomic gatekeeping method, which I thought was really interesting. It's definitely one side of the story, but yeah.
4: I mean, this perspective is saying that even though we have this idea of college, you know, going to college you know, it's sort of a meritocracy, so it's a way of being able to get to the top. Really, um, college admissions are just a way of keeping the top at the top and the bottom at the bottom. Yeah. So it's not really a meritocracy. I think, yeah, maybe to some degree this is true. What's really shocking to me about the response to this question, so if, is it a scandal relevant to ACA? There's a lot of stuff in the news that obviously, you know, it's it's tragic and it's bad, but you can't really relate to it in some way. But this news Really hit home. Kind of shows that we're connected to this big story. This is something that affects us, and you know the m- most students think that think so as well. So I think that's um that's quite revealing. The student responses didn't bear all bad news, though. So um you know we asked students whether they felt that the counselors were being honest with them in the college admissions process, and 33 of the 43 respondents responded with threes and fours, which means that most students do think that you know, while the scandal is relevant to ASIJ, our counsellors are honest and they can trust our counsellors. So I, I think that's a that's a pretty good thing.
3: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think ASIJ, simply even with having trustworthy counsellors, like it's given us so many opportunities with our process with college.
4: That's pretty relieving to me to know that You know, we're maybe in some way we're in a system that's sort of rigged, but, you know, at least the the staff at our school, you know, they act honestly and they're honest with us, which which I think is a great thing.
3: Mm -hmm. So then moving on to another question, Mm -hmm. it says, are you aware of the many advantages you have going to ASIJ in the college admissions process? So the student responses were very positive. So I'm glad that we understand that because we do go to ASIJ, which is an international and a private school, we know that we're given many opportunities and advantages. So while, while it may be that the admission system is rigged, it's important to understand that we do have a boost up. Yeah,
4: yeah. I think most people kind of have an idea of how you know, how privileged we are. I mean, definitely I speak to kids from other schools and I talk about maybe the, the support we're getting from our counseling staff and, and the school in general going into college and a lot of kids say, you know, we don't have the same sort of thing at our school. So definitely in that way, we're, we're pretty fortunate. The thing with, say, the idea of privilege, I always think, what do you do with that information, right? So obviously I'm, we're all privileged in some way, the student body in A C J. but what do we do with that? should we act in a way that maybe tries to level the playing field or do we just accept the fact that this is the life that we have and
3: just do our best yeah and kind of going off of that an interesting student response was that one of the person's opinions is that these donations and like people that are giving money to the school while it's also benefiting them and their children They believe that it's also going to be helpful for the disadvantaged students because this money is going to be for renovating facilities and more faculty and all that kind of stuff. So there are ways in which the system isn't fully corrupt either.
4: Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Donations, all that kind of thing, it it is kind of a double-edged sword. I mean, I guess you could say it is kind of unfair because... The more money you have, the more you can donate, the okay. better your chances of getting your, say, children into college. But it also does help the university. You know, universities um, don't run for free. It costs money to have great facilities, et cetera. And, you know, you got to get that money from somewhere, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe to, to wrap up everything we've talked about. So, you know, as members of ASIJ and to everyone listening, I think the college admissions process at least for the seniors is basically over now mm-hmm. and we all know it was a really stressful time it's a really hard time maybe th- some thoughts um for everyone so how do we foster maybe a less raised environment you know should we have an environment with less pressure or is this a good thing is this a bad thing you know i think we could we should all think a little bit more about the college admissions process it is a really big deal you know honestly arguably it, it kind of decides the path that your life is going to lead and should it be so condensed into say like four years of high school or do we want to live in a society where maybe it's a little bit more relaxed i don't know what do you think
3: <laughs> yeah no i completely agree i think mm-hmm. Especially for students that are going to that are applying to college right now, and then also uh, sophomores that are going into junior year, this is really an important topic to think about.
4: Yeah, and you know, I think I touched on this idea before. But as students of ASIJ, a really privileged school, um, in light of the scandal, is this something that we could do? I don't know. I mean, do we have a role? Is this something we could do? Or you know, in the bigger picture of things, and you know, maybe to what extent are we part of the problem? I think these are all things that we could think about, you know, in light of the scandal.
3: Now we're going to move on to Mr. Lavender's interview.
1: Hi everyone, my name is Rebecca Malamud, and um, today I'm joined by Mr. Lavender, who is a counselor at ASIJ. Thank you for being here.
5: Thank you for having me here. It is my office, though, so thank you for being here.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay, so my first question is, what was your first impression when you read or heard about the scandal,
5: Operation Varsity Blues? Well, I guess my first thing is I laughed because of the name. Mm -hmm. And the name refers to this movie that actually has nothing to do with what Mm -hmm. what happened.
1: Yeah, I thought it was Um,
5: funny. But I guess when I heard it, I mean, I don't think I was as shocked or surprised, I think, as most people were. because. You you know, I think a lot of people learned something about this, Mm -hmm. but for me, it was just like, oh, okay, that's the part about where they uh, um, were faking the athletes. Oh, the the Photoshop. Yeah, Yeah. I thought, well, that's new, Um, but... No, I mean, I, I've seen that loophole for years. And yeah. so it's not something that really surprised me.
1: Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I'm, I think that was kind of the impression of, from everyone, at a, a, a lot of people that I've spoken to at ASIJ mm-hmm. about this. A lot of people were like, this is not surprising.
5: Yeah, well, I guess considering the fact that, you know, 100% of our graduates since I've been here 12 years, if you think about that and the numbers, like basically 100% of students here go to college right away like Mm -hmm. we're very centered on that being the end game for a lot of our students or the students are centered on that unless they're doing military service or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, so I think that college is more on the mindset of our entire student body as opposed to a lot of other say public schools from the states and that where you might have 30 percent go right away Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah
1: how much of the advice that you give to students do you think would be different if this college prep mindset wasn't as big of a priority as it is?
5: Well, I think it's the, this is the first time. Like, I mean, besides preparing them for, for their applications, and that part of it is preparing students for the outcomes. Right. And this isn't meant to be offensive to anybody, but mm-hmm. I think there's a good number of students in our school that have never heard the word no. And if... If they've heard no, then their families or whatever have found a way of overturning that no and making it a yes. Mm -hmm. But the, you know, so I I think that there's students from our school, all their lives, they've been brought up. Their parents have said no to them at times. And so they're kind of prepared for what happens. But I think it's also what this, um, it's the unfairness of this, like trying to explain, even without this scandal. Right. The you know it's not black and white getting into any school, so this is kind of no different um, than some things that already happen. The difference about that it's illegal and unethical. Yeah. Where there's other things that are legal, they're still unethical that are happening every day that we've known about.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. So would you say that this scandal is um, relevant to how college admissions happens at ASIJ?
5: I would say not to this extent or that I've Mm -hmm. never heard this extent. Certainly, there are times and there, you know, and just being honest, there are times when a student gets into a school or doesn't get into a school and it sends up a red flag with the counselors because we use a lot of data and when you look at it, this in itself hasn't happened, but I know of students from our school that they've gotten in and it hasn't necessarily all been about merit Mm -hmm. you know it's that perhaps someone in their family knows a board member or a trustee or something and there's a phone call that's made quite often we're not told about like we're we're never told by the university about it Mm -hmm. um there's been the odd occasion where we've talked to them because we get to know the university admissions people And they'll say, well, that went to the advancement office, or that was, you know, I mean, it's something beyond. Mm -hmm. The thing is, when you see something like that happen, and if it's here or any other school, ASIJ is not any different than schools, you know, in our area like Singapore and Shanghai and all of that. When you see it happen, I think the important thing to know, and this is a differentiating thing about these students, too, that if there is some sort of in that a student has from our school, that the student is admittable to the school like it's not that they're taking in students that you know are not going to do well at that school and so and that makes sense for them where where some of these students when you looked at you know how um, qualified they were to go to the schools they really weren't so Mm -hmm. you know just getting in is part of it but now they're going to be you know they're kind of at a lower level than a lot of their classmates, right. so they're going to need help for all four years, um, mm-hmm. just so they can survive, basically.
1: Right. Do you think? Do you feel that there is enough transparency about the position that ASIJ is in in terms of connections and and the and the advantage that that ASIJ students might have when it comes to like informing sophomores and juniors about applications um
5: i think it it depends on i think it's so nuanced sometimes um i think a lot of times the better advice comes from the students but the bad advice will come from parents Mm -hmm. because you have a parent who's got one son or one daughter and they got into a particular school let's say duke for instance Mm -hmm. so the advice they give is only based on their student you know and they can't see that you know, it might be an advantage that they're um, a visible minority or they're, they happen to be a female or they're a male. A couple of years ago, um, there was twice as many male applicants as there were female applicants to Harvard. Mm-hmm. For a, um, but when the next year came around um, and or the admissions came out and the class was almost 50-50. So, you know, it was advantageous that particular year to be a female. Right. Um and so I think it's it's so difficult to see all the moving pieces. A lot of students just want to say, well, I had a three point nine two and I had a thirty-four on the ACT, so there and I got in, therefore everyone with that will get in too. Mm-hmm. And that's just not the way it works. Right. But I think the knowledge and the ability to counsel other students, say senior students counseling younger ones, is a reflection on how well you've been counseled by the counselors here, like these Sessions that you have, right? So if you're relaying that information and what your experience was then You know, I think a lot of times the best advice is going to come from students mm-hmm.
1: Kind of relating to the whole issue about uh, getting advantages in, um in admissions How do you feel about students taking advantage of the legacy admission system?
5: Well? The way I see it. Okay. This is in order for me to sleep at night and not get really angry about it mm-hmm. Um I'll give you the example. I know one student, she was a former student of mine. She went to Harvard, Mm -hmm. and she was a full-pay, she's probably the most qualified person I know. She's now a professor at Johns Hopkins Mm -hmm. Hospital in in med school. But her roommate was the daughter of a pig farmer from Idaho, and then they had eight children. They could only afford about $5,000 a year. Mm -hmm. We all know Harvard costs way more than that. And so the way I think about the – the reason legacy is important is because legacy, a lot of times, they're tracked as active donors. Like, if you go and then your kids go, you're more likely to give money to the school. That's kind of what the idea is behind it. But my idea is if they get that money in, they're able – from those legacy kids, they're able to help underserved or underprivileged kids go to school there too. So if the money wasn't there – then be that as it may Uh, it depresses me sometimes especially Mm. with a school like Princeton where you know they can say well it doesn't really have an effect but in my time at ASAJ I think it's only been maybe one student I know that's gotten into Princeton that hasn't been legacy right that's that's sad in a way it's what you're doing is you're limiting this gene pool like it's if it's all the same you know if everyone's a legacy yeah. Or if there's this, this huge percentage of students that are legacy, um, I think that can be problematic, mm-hmm. you know, because typically these students that have been legacy, well, their parents have money, too, and their parents have money. And therefore, the cycle continues where when you kind of get through that whole, um, you know, that whole process, are you bringing in new blood? Are you bringing in, say, a student who's the first in their family to ever go to college, Mm -hmm. you know, and they might be the most amazing person, like, and they might have had a, you know, a full-time job while they are in high school trying to help support the family, and and they get denied because, you know, someone of privilege, and that's what it is, I mean, it's a privilege gets in, Yeah, that's bothersome, you know, Mm -hmm. but, you know, they're the ones making the rules, and so it's hard to um, have any control over that, not being kind of in that world like they all the colleges make their own rules especially the private schools Mm -hmm. so not much you can do about it right but we complain i complain about it Mm
1: -hmm. one criticism that i've heard of uh, legacy admissions is that it's a form of affirmative action for Mm -hmm. for white people Mm -hmm. and um and looking at it looking at legacy admissions through that lens i guess is um how how do you think that relates to um, I guess ASIJ's sort of <laughs> message of core values
5: and. Well, I guess I, I I don't know if I would put on the if I I wouldn't put the race part on it because right. simply because you know a lot of our students have been Japanese mm-hmm. that have gotten in it, but their parents had gotten. I I think it's more of the haves and have-nots, and it's it's trying to. Here's the socialist Canadian coming from that point of view, like, like trying to bring people up so that things are more level rather than widening this gap, you know, where you, you got into these schools. I will, and I will say for Princeton, though, the one thing I do know, every single legacy student that I know from our school that's gotten in has been an admittable student. Like they've been in the mid 50th percentile anyway, like they're good students. Right. Still. Um, and, and the other thing is it's not their fault. And I, it, it bothers me when I hear them coming in and they feel guilty for being, you know, right. for being legacy. It's not, it's, it's like apologizing, I'm sorry I'm rich or okay. I come from a wealthy family. It's it's nothing they've done. Right. And in some way they feel it's kind of taken away their uh, their accomplishments, how hard they've worked to get in. You know, they've worked and worked and worked and worked. And in the end, the thing that really gets them in is the fact that they're the child of someone who's gone to a school. Right as far as the affirmative action I, I do I think it 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 keeps a private club private still right. it just it, you know those doors aren't being burst open you know I get the the good part of that especially when you're at a school as long as I've been at ASIJ, is that you start seeing the results of these students that have gone to all these other schools like 10 years ago 12 years ago and they come out and I'm talking like B C and northeastern and U B C and right. and that and I think some of right now some of the most successful you know business wise or in their careers already are students that didn't go to any Ivy League school mm-hmm. you know they went to um, they went to some of those other schools and now they're going back to graduate school and it didn't really matter for them so that kind of makes me feel good too but mm-hmm. but it's hard not to be cynical like I I, I will fully admit. I think that all four counselors here are cynical of the college admissions. But it's, you know, it's like hate the game not to play or is what is that what the saying is or um whatever something like yeah. that. Like I mean, we we can say we're just not going to do that. And and some of the teachers think, "Why are we being held captive by the colleges?" I said, "Well, I mean, it's they're the ones that have the key to admissions." Right. So If we decide, well, we're not going to do that, they can say, "Okay, well, we're not going to take your kids. And then we're, you know, Mm. so.
1: Right. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah.
4: Now we're going to hand it over to Hugh, who's interviewing Mr. Hertrick.
6: Hi, I'm Hugh McGuire, and I'm with Mr. Hertrick, who is currently a high school English teacher here at the American School in Japan. Now, before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your academic background?
0: Sure. Uh, So I went to a small K through 12 private independent day school uh, growing up. So for high school uh, as well. And then I went to Williams College in Massachusetts for undergrad, and then went to Harvard University for my master's.
6: Um, So regarding the college scandal that's Mm -hmm. been in the news recently. Mm -hmm. So what was your initial reaction when the details of the bribery scandal came out?
0: So it's really frustrating to me uh, that that happens, but I think it's also, I think, related to the fact that this is so pervasive that this is an extreme version of stuff that goes on across the board in terms of ways that uh, wealth and privilege advantage or influence the, the college application process.
6: Um, so coming from an Ivy League background, what are your thoughts on the way students get into schools specifically that do not include merit, mm. you know, whether it be legal or illegal?
0: Yeah, I think that that's a, a major problem, especially given the fact that Uh, on a sort of global scale, I think people think of certain schools more readily than others, which is obviously to the advantage of those institutions. But a side effect of that is that lots and lots and lots of people are trying to get in there. And people are trying to game the system in a variety of ways to try and achieve access to those schools. And I think it's really unfortunate that those schools aren't more assertive and proactive. And I think Um, Part of what's interesting is a number of of big name schools have been actively trying to change the way that they approach the admissions process to make sure that they're valuing the right things as opposed to things that can be gamed. So I think this is a big step in the wrong direction in terms of revealing the way that um, different factors other than capacity, merit, and fit uh, end end up getting people into these schools.
6: Right, so you were talking about how you want schools to take action, but um, you can see that like legacy is something that's kind of normalized mm-hmm. in um, our society, but what, what do you think about that specifically?
0: Well, I think it's complicated because on the one hand, if you've got parents that have attended a particular school, it does mean that you're gonna have a deeper understanding and a deeper connection to the mindset, the philosophy, and the sort of viewpoint of people who attend that school, because you will have been raised in a culture of the sort of family culture that's based on that. Uh, So in that way, it does mean that you're you're probably a good fit for that school, or at least you have an advantage because of that cultural experience of being a part of that family to be, I guess, more easily able to integrate or or connect with that community. Uh, That being said, I mean, I think it should be a really small piece of the puzzle, if at all. Uh, And I think that having that be a driving force Uh, is really problematic because it it jeopardizes the sort of academic experience for everyone. And the people who I think are are really sort of the hidden victims of this scandal are the the students themselves who who got tricked into believing that they were capable and a good fit for a school like this Uh, because ultimately it means they're not going to get anything out of that experience and it's going to be a waste of their time and they're going to feel overwhelmed and and sort of underprepared.
6: Okay. Okay. Um, in terms of donations, so that's obviously a big revenue stream for these universities. Mm-hmm. But personally, do you think that should have any influence at in admissions or?
0: No, I don't, I don't think it should matter at all.
6: Okay. Um, now, lastly, kind of an overview. But uh, what do you what do you think is like a good message we can take from this recent scandal?
0: I think part of it is to remember that uh, while we see colleges as brands, that that's not I don't I don't personally think that's the best way to approach or think about um, making choices around college. And then I also think the other takeaway is to really reflect on all of the ways that people who are part of this community have an advantage um, and, and to recognize that, not necessarily to be apologetic for that, but to at least acknowledge that that leg up exists and to be aware that that's something that people here are sort of tacitly benefiting from. Uh, and to and to think about whether there are ways that we can contribute to offsetting or, or leveling the playing field to make sure that the most qualified people are getting into the to the best schools.
6: Yeah, that's great. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
0: no problem.
2: Hi, I'm Tyler Schiff,
6: and I'm Hugh McGuire, and I'm Alex Catsalaris,
2: and today we're going to be talking about discussing. Um, March Madness Um, and uh, it's ups and downs and uh, surprises and uh yeah, some of our favorite moments
7: so uh, to give us some background information uh, March Madness is a it's another name for uh, the NCAA tournament for basketball so what happens every year is uh, the the best 64 college teams they get together in this huge tournament and they play elimination games round by round until they get to the championship game and the reason why it's so interesting is because it's elimination and these teams play in these weird places. They've never played each other before and they just play and they battle it out. And it's it turns into like a, a week-long marathon of just game after game after game. And they're extremely interesting. They're very unpredictable. And, and that's partly the reason why people love it so much is because they like to bet on the games. And normally no one can like pick the bracket correctly and actually, is it's actually statistically almost impossible to get a perfect bracket, which is why people love picking it so much. So let's head into the conversation. So did you guys get a chance to watch March Madness at all? I mean, I've been able to watch a lot of the games because I I have a US like, VPN at my house. So like, I'm, like during the 64, round of 64, round of 32, I could watch a lot of the games because I could hook up to an American internet. And it was actually really fun, even though the times are all messed up.
2: I mean, uh, yeah, I was actually in the U.S. at the time, so um, yeah, it was uh, my dad and I in a hotel room for the college tours and uh, yeah, just ending the
7: day with a
2: March Madness game. Yeah, it's so fun. Wouldn't have it any other way, yeah.
7: Because I used to live in the U.S. and I remember just getting home at like 2 o'clock and you just watch games from 2 to like 11. You just didn't know homework at all was so much fun and that was it was like that for like for the the thursday the friday saturday and the sunday it was all basketball and it's like after a while you get really tired but it's still so much fun
6: yeah especially the early games you know there's so many back to back to back to back it's just really interesting i personally was in the u.s as well doing college tours so yeah it was definitely a lot of fun kind of like
7: winding down and watching those games so what do you guys think of, like, is ASIJ's, like, response to March Madness? Because obviously people like us seem to care a lot. Yeah, so
2: I think the school's so Western-influenced, and yeah. um, we actually have a lot of basketball lovers. So we uh, created a whole group of brackets and uh, created, like, a whole winner-take-all. <laughs> we put, like, 500 yen into the bracket. Yeah. Uh, and right now, a lot of us don't have any winners, right? Like, Yeah, we it's, cr- it's crazy, yeah. predicted the correct winner. We all,
7: because we all picked Duke.
2: Yeah, so, okay, so personally, I picked Duke, Hugh. I picked Duke as well.
7: Yeah,
6: I picked Gonzaga just because uh, <laughs> I love Rui Matsumura because I have to represent for Japan. So, I think a lot of people did that. Yeah, what do you do, pick Alex?
7: I picked Duke. I really wanted. To, actually, my my head said Virginia just because like everyone was hating on Virginia. I was like, I'm gonna pick them just despite everybody. But yeah, they're actually good. I thought they they really should have lost that game to for uh, Duke. Honestly, like it was so lucky.
6: I think Duke got lucky on many occasions. Yeah, Duke I mean, should. I don't know
7: how the heck they won both those games.
6: Yeah, I'm I'm glad they're out now, but I mean to get to the point where they got that was just yeah, but a it, stroke it, of luck. It
7: was just so much fun watching that team though. That team is so good. And they, like well that team the team isn't good but like the players on that team they're ridic- they're going to be ridiculous in the NBA especially Zion.
6: Yeah, I mean it's fun watching especially teams like Duke because you know that you know 3 4 players are going to be in the NBA next year. So if you're yeah. an NBA fan, you know, you're going to be like a Zion fan or RJ Barrett fan.
2: Even though Cam Reddish.
6: Cam uh, Cam Reddish is a little bit of a disappointment.
2: (laughs) I mean, so obviously there have been so many games, but um, would you guys want to concentrate on the Elite Eight or the last eight teams? Because I think personally those were some insane games. Like you said, the Purdue-Virginia game. Um, oh yeah.
7: Wait. Actually, one thing before we get into that, did you guys watch the Marquette Marie State game? Oh yeah. So um, that's probably the biggest first. Like, just like the impact of that game is yeah. going to be. Its Do you want to kind
2: of introduce what was at stake during this game? And yeah,
7: but it's yeah, So this was a round of sixty-four game. Like, if you guys just looking at the teams, you wouldn't think, oh, this isn't that big of a deal. But then you see this kid on uh, Marie State, number twelve, John Moran, and that kid is kid special. And like, you're you're going to see him in the NBA for like a long time and he's really good and yeah,
2: I think he's projected to go number two in the draft yeah so this yeah. is like
7: the, the stage the first time you get on like see him on a big stage I, I've never seen him before and I was blown away yeah and then on Marquette you have Marcus Howard who is just yeah. a prolific scorer
6: I mean if you watch him he's almost the polar opposite of um Murray State's John Morant I mean he can shoot the three and he could step back. I mean, he shoots from NBA range. Yeah. Like, he is ridiculous. And so, kind of like the veteran presence in him versus the really young Ja Morant, I mean, that was a really interesting matchup. And I'm glad yeah. ja, uh, ja and Murray Say won, though, because I was rooting for them.
7: But. Yeah. So now we go to the Elite Eight. Uh, what was some of your favorite games from that? Yeah. I mean, so obviously,
2: talking about unlimited range, uh, Carson Edwards from Purdue, number three was yeah it? yeah i mean i doubt anyone really knew who he was coming into the game oh yeah no one knew who that. yeah was. but um he really lit it up from three you, I got think 40, he,
7: you got 40 the first game right
2: yeah He. i mean uh he had 26 in the first game and then 40 something to knock off villanova yeah oh my god yeah so i mean and they killed villanova too. yeah so this guy is a uh, Purdue's go-to score and uh he really delivered i mean
7: it was just funny because in the elite eight game he had forty points, zero assists.
2: Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> he was just produce whole offense in the end. Yeah, yeah. And, um, I,
7: what I really thought when he they were down three and he just started going up the court and he like if he didn't make that pass I thought he was going to pull up from like half court and make it because he you see that remember that bank shot he hit like he hit on the he was in the right corner he was like completely covered and he just took a step back and banked in the three it was I couldn't believe that one yeah, in
2: yeah I mean literally the definition of on fire yeah You could not miss
6: and the great thing about these tournaments is that it's a really good opportunity for like these players to get exposure right for the for the draft and yeah. i think Carson Edwards is kind of in an interesting position where he's kind of you know old compared to some of these younger guards who are like projected highly and you know he's obviously not projected you know within the first round i no. would say and you know this obviously gave him so much exposure it's it, it's interesting to think you know where would he go if he didn't have this kind of um tournament yeah and it's also great for his teammates as well because knowing you know Carson Edwards is going to go off like this his teammates are also going to
7: get the same exposure he's getting so
6: yeah it'll be interesting to see where he goes in the draft
7: yeah I think he he probably will go first round now because anyone who could shoot from that far back and like light it up that much I feel like they're gonna get there yeah they'll get a first round pick
6: yeah now definitely he's gonna go I think especially after that performance I mean that's just it reminds me you know of some of like the older veterans who just like go off in the tournament and then get a yeah. second round late first round pick. I mean, you see a lot of those kind of players nowadays.
2: Yeah, I mean this I think this really brings some light into really how competitive basketball is as a sport. Yeah. I mean, you just have so many kids looking at basketball as a as like a way out and from that, I mean, you can play college ball but even from that, like a, a junior or a senior in college, yeah. Carson Edwards, who can score forty points a game, might even be turned down by a lot of yeah. NBA teams. I mean, yeah, it just really sheds light.
7: The cool thing about like the college basketball though is like unlike football, where you have to be like in the top twenty-five team to even get a shot at anything. In basketball, like if you're if you're in that sixty-four, you can you you can beat a one-seed. It's happened before, yeah. and you can make a run like teams, like Steph and Davidson, they were like a 10 seed or whatever. They almost got to the Final Four. This Carson, like, this Purdue team isn't that good. They weren't supposed to be that good, but they had this massive run in the tournament and they can shock everybody. So it's like so much different than any other sport I can think of, like, where one team can that's not projected to be that good can completely turn the table, like, in the tournament.
2: Yeah, so um, this tournament, actually, the main, uh, I mean, people were really looking at duke as a team. Yeah. Um they have four freshman starters. I think they entered the tournament with a 70% chance to win. I mean, Hugh, I know you had Gonzaga winning <laughs> but you want to talk about
6: Yeah, so I mean, Duke is obviously a great team. They have really amazing personnel and you know,
7: all debatably a great coach. I mean, he's a good coach normally. He just wasn't a good coach this year. Right.
6: No. But um I think he's they're they're a great team, but they really just can't shoot it. Yeah, they had
7: no shooters. It was and crazy.
6: I mean, um, you have Jones hitting
7: some threes, right? Yeah, but then Occasionally. you have Arja, he who literally just takes the ball and just charges down the lane. Exactly. And just throws it up. I don't even know what he's doing.
6: And I'm like a proud Zion <laughs> shooting form skeptic. <laughs> Although he hits, you know, you see videos of him shooting... And hitting threes, and you and have like, like Cam warm-ups. Reddish
7: like sleep asleep walking through most I, of the game. And I
6: mean, yeah, Cam Reddish is a total disappointment. So
7: yeah, what is it? Do that guy's like six nine? Like how is he not getting that, like some buckets? Like he yeah. had like he had that one three in the UFC UCF yeah. game, but that's yeah. that's like it. But so like for the Final Four, just like even though we know we're even though it's April fifth, and we're, by the time this is posted, Final Four is going to be over. What do you guys think is going to like going to happen?
6: That's interesting. I'm, honestly, none of these teams. I, my personal bracket, I didn't have any of these teams in the final four. So, <laughs> it's interesting to to think. But I'm gonna have to go with Texas Tech. Okay. Well, over Because who? right. Because they're defensively, they're they're so good.
7: Playing Virginia, right?
6: Yeah, I believe so. Eesh. Okay. And they have Jarrett Culver, who's projected lottery pick in the NBA yeah. draft.
2: No, no. Virginia play Auburn.
6: Virginia plays Auburn. Yeah. Okay.
2: That's on that side of the bracket, and Texas Tech plays. Sorry, Virginia plays Auburn, and Texas Tech plays. Um. Oh, oh, oh! They play the winner of the Duke game. Who won the Duke game? Michigan State. <laughs> Michigan State. Yeah. So Michigan State, Texas Tech on one side, and the other side, Virginia and Auburn.
6: I mean, I personally want Auburn to win because they're That'd just be awesome. So, yeah. Yeah, they're great offensively, and they I think shoot it, so many threes. Yeah. But I think Texas Tech, their defense is way too good. Michigan
7: State's defense really good too.
6: Oh yeah, yeah. Cassius Winston's a great point guard.
7: Shoot, can... Yeah, I have no idea who's gonna. If I had to pick, I would do Auburn. Auburn's such a like they're such a hot streak right now. I feel like they're gonna keep it going for at least one more game. Mm-hmm. So, dude, what if Auburn plays? If Auburn plays Texas Tech, that'd be one of the weirdest things like ever.
6: Yeah, no, it'd be interesting. And I mean, this kind of like sheds light on the recent. I guess this is really recent, but the recent rise of. The SEC, yeah, with basketball, I mean, Kentucky recently has been a disappointment, you know, relative to like the Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony
7: Davis days. But
6: you know, Tyler Harrell's great. They have a great. Not really, team. dude.
7: Tyler Harrell's not that good. <laughs> I think <he's> amazing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> I'm, biased. I'm biased, but like the the what the the thing that's just the equalizer that for the SEC team is just the three ball now, because like Auburn, they shoot so many threes that like. They can get back in a game by not playing that good, but just shooting a ton of threes, yeah. making a lot of I them. I mean,
6: look at the Tennessee game. Admiral Schofield was just going ballistic with yeah. the three ball, <laughs> and you, you just have like the whole team, you know, have the ability to shoot threes, which is just something that is like a necessity, I think, in today's game.
2: Yeah. Um. So obviously, uh, when this comes out, the Final Four and even the championship, I think,
7: will be over. Will yeah. be
2: over. But um, I just want to look at the star players for each team and uh, okay. we can kind of discuss. Mm-hmm. Right, so for Michigan State and Auburn on one side, um, obviously you have Cassius Winston. Yep. And it'll be really interesting to see uh, him go against uh, Auburn's um, five foot ten point guard, Jared uh, Jared Harper.
7: The interesting thing about the Auburn is like no one knows anyone on that team. It's exactly. just like they're
2: really good. Like, But they
7: have no star player.
2: Exactly. So, I mean, but if we had to choose it would be interesting to see that point guard matchup.
7: Yeah, yeah. But I feel like Michigan State, just because they're experienced and just their coach and everything that they've done, like that program has been really good for a long time. I feel like they can take out Auburn.
2: Okay. And on the other side, we have uh, Virginia and... Oh, no. Sorry. Mich- it's Michigan State and Texas Tech. Sorry.
7: Wait, what? Yeah. Sorry. Michigan State plays Te- Texas Tech? Yeah. Well, either way, I think Michigan State's going
2: to win. Okay. And um, so Texas Tech star player is Jared Culver. Yeah. So, um, on the other side, we have Auburn and Virginia. Yeah. So, that would be a, a point guard matchup. Yeah, Kyle Guy and yeah. uh, Ty Jerome on Virginia.
6: Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a lethal matchup. I mean, you want to talk about shooting, Kyle Guy can shoot it. Ty Jerome can definitely shoot it as well. So, it's interesting to see how that's going to end up. I mean, a lot of these teams are kind of like under the radar, I would say. I mean, you don't have, usually you have one, you know, big name team, like a North Carolina or a Duke. Yeah. But, you know, even this year, it's just Texas Tech. I mean, I feel like out of the 40 people in our bracket, maybe two of those people can name a player on Texas Tech. Well, last,
7: last year it was Chicago State, remember? Yeah. Uh, Loyola Chicago. No, 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 Loyola Chicago. It was really weird. I don't know how the heck they got that Yeah, that's Sister Jean, if you remember <laughs> that. <laughs> but... Yeah, it was yeah, it was just crazy. And but one thing, like the reason why Auburn, I feel like, could lose is because they're playing in like a football stadium, which I heard like a lot of players talk about. It's really weird when you get on that. Like, is the court's like elevated, and the field, like the like the the it just expands. Like it's not right. a normal basketball arena. It's really weird, and it messes with your like shooting, because when you're shooting like instead of the crowd being right there it's all the way back there right it's really weird I mean aren't the uh, bench players like under yeah the bench players like underneath the court and everyone talks about like the shooting is really strange which is like is bad for Auburn because they take a ton of threes because they're playing in the Viking Stadium and that stadium is massive
2: um yeah so uh wrapping up so I'm I mean, you just said Michigan State's going to get in the championship, and yeah, Michigan um, State they well, play. Uh, and what do we think about the other side with uh, Auburn and Virginia?
7: I think Virginia plays Michigan State. I, I feel like I feel like those the underdogs finally go out. And uh, if I had to pick, I pick Virginia to win it all.
2: All right, Virginia. Um, I think I'm going to have to go with Virginia. I mean, Ty Jerome, Kyle, Kyle Guy, just a double-edged sword right there. I mean, I mean, and they have so many role players like a DeAndre Hunter.
7: DeAndre Hunter is um, really good. Yeah. yeah.
2: Just a lot of so I pick Virginia.
6: Yeah, although Virginia is very enticing, you know I think <laughs> a tournament like this kind of teaches you that you can't go with who you think is okay. going to win. So I'm going to have to go with Texas Tech because their defense is just unbeatable. I mean I don't I think any team in front of them they can defend them and lock them down. Yeah, so. the team is long. Yeah, Cassius Winston. I think he's going to be a non-factor. Cow guy, non-factor. Hydro <laughs> non-factor. Oh, wow. I'm ready. Uh,
7: I'm ready. Going, you're, going around, you're going down with the ship. Okay. Yeah.
0: And that was the dealio. Follow us on Instagram at ASIJ underscore podcast and tune in next time. Ciao.